Welcome to the New Models Podcast. This episode is part two of two of our America Diaries 2022. In part one, released this past Thursday, Carly talked about the trip we shared to rural Maryland, Ohio, and Virginia. What follows in part two are my own experiences of this visit, with some of the same scenes but from a different perspective. We're now back in Berlin, and I already miss the smell of fighter jets in the morning. America Diaries Part 2 was written, read, and recorded by myself, Lil Internet, in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I hope you enjoy. The flip-down monitors on our Icelandic budget airline served us nonsensical data about our flight. Duration, distance, local time, all wrong. The values increasing, decreasing, and standing still. Categories labeled in an unknown language vaguely resembling vulgar Latin. On the map showing our flight path, the little plane icon hovered for an hour or so over Anticosti Island, the graveyard of St. Lawrence, the Bermuda Triangle of the North, before reappearing near Albany, New York. Maybe it was a cipher, some secret message for those with the key to decode it. When we landed in Baltimore, our heads were foggy. Carly left her rolling bag on the plane. We had forgotten it even existed until, as if a switch was flipped in our brains, we suddenly remembered it, already having passed customs. The blonde elves who attended our flight were still waiting for the crew luggage, and they generously offered to call a coworker, maybe still on the plane, speaking to them in a language that was half phonetics and half whistles a strange disconnect between the movements of their mouths and the sounds that came out. But sure enough, a large man appeared down the hall just a few minutes later, rolling Carly's bag behind him. We graciously thanked everyone, the man and the elves, for their help, relieved to have finally finished our long journey with all of our baggage intact. Stepping outside into the summer heat, we were greeted by a featureless sky of blank, diffused white light, giving us the eerie suspicion we've all had before that planes are actually fake. And what really happens when you fly somewhere is just the simulation of the outside world changing around you while you're confined under strict safety protocol in a cylindrical room. The further away you go, the more different the new simulation is and the longer it takes to load. Airports all run the same intersimulation engine and are all built from the same templates, which is why they all look and feel like part of a unified non-place. In Baltimore, the sky renderer had apparently crashed. Carly's mom picked us up and we drove to her house in the country. The electricity had just been restored after five days of power outage. A particular kind of storm had occurred earlier in the week called a derecho, a term I had never heard in my entire life. The vegetation lining the road seemed exceptionally thick, oversized, wild, like Moses had parted a green sea, precariously cutting a narrow paved path between two massive waves of leaves and vines, eager to crash back together. The human infrastructure of overhead power lines and asphalt seemed brittle and helpless against the fractal creep of flora that seemed determined to conquer civilization. Maybe this America is a simulation, or the latest update of the one that's always been there, rebalancing gameplay between man and a previously nerfed nature, adding a derecho storm expansion pack and overpowered plant growth. 
At home, Carly's mom made crab cakes for us. Carly and I both grew up near the Chesapeake Bay. Carly to the north in Maryland, and me to the south in Virginia. And whenever I'm back, I make a point of eating as much Chesapeake Bay blue crab as possible. I always think about that line from Three Six Mafia and UGK's 2000 song, Sippin' on Some Syrup, where Pimp C, rest in peace, says, We eat so many shrimp, I got iodine poisoning. I googled what happens if you eat too many Chesapeake Bay blue crabs and read a study warning about their high levels of carcinogenic PCBs. We eat so many crabs I got cancer doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Carly's mom asked us what we thought about the Highland Park shooter, saying that his face tattoo should have been a warning sign. We replied that face tattoos are pretty common to her disbelief. But then she mentioned that there had been another mass shooting this time in a mall food court in Indiana, which happened while we were on the plane. While the Highland Park shooter was interesting, a divirtualized simulacrum of an edgelord SoundCloud rapper who thought of his mass shooting as an act of mass media, the Indiana shooter just followed the standard script. A divirtualized simulacrum of the extremely online persona of an extremely angry male teenager. The standard script, except for the fact that he was killed by another civilian, one who would be heralded by the news as a good Samaritan. This hero of Hollister, guardian of GameStop, sheriff of Spencer's Gifts, was Elijah Dickin. Investigators tonight naming that good Samaritan as Elijah Dickin. A milk-drinking, flag-respecting 20-something who brings his girlfriend and his Glock to the mall. A divirtualized simulacrum of teen male fantasy. You know, the good kind. Elisha Dickin whipped out his sidearm and neutralized the Indiana shooter from a distance, emptying his 10-shot clip across tables of Panda Express, Sabaro, and Auntie Anne's. But the strangest part of this story, to me, was the spelling of Elisha's name. E-L-I-S-J-S-H-A. Elisha with an S-J-S-H-A. I felt gaslighted by all those consonants smashed together. In no reality does a J belong between two S's. Maybe the simulation update is glitchy, with NPCs given bizarrely spelled names generated by an immature AI with a lot more machine learning left to do. Thinking of Elijah made me think of other American names that don't seem real, like Trump's ex-chief of staff, Rince Priebus. I remembered Reality Winner, the name of a woman who, with her top secret clearance, leaked an NSA report about Russia hacking U.S. elections to The Intercept in 2017 and who ended up in jail. About an hour after I remembered Reality Winner for the first time in years, I saw a tweet promoting that night's episode of 60 Minutes. The guest, fresh out of jail, was Reality Winner. This was an impressive level of responsiveness on the part of the simulation, perhaps also part of the update, allowing my private thoughts to generate relevant media events in near real time. But this also convinced me that Reality Winner didn't really exist in reality. And as for Elijah Dickin with the gaslighting consonants, uh, he's probably fake too. Besides the spelling, he's just too deliberate of a character and too deliberate of a story 
a glaring GOP X NRA X NPC collabo to boost Second Amendment support in this new simulation. As the sun set on our first night, fireflies started glowing across the backyard, hovering pulses of green light and waves of five, six, seven, too many and too dispersed to count. I felt like I hadn't seen them in years, vaguely remembering their absence being a newsworthy warning sign of some impending insect apocalypse caused by cell phone towers, a concern of late 10s vintage that everyone seems to have forgotten. But with nature's new update, the fireflies are back. In a field, when it's too dark for your camera to pick up any landscape detail, it will register firefly light as a sharp, bright spot. Fireflies light up at dusk to find mates, evolutionary emergence reaching some kind of pinnacle by achieving a horny bug rave. Their glow is the result of a bioluminescent chemical with a technical death metal band name, Luciferin. And with Luciferin, fireflies create the most energy efficient light in existence. The combination of 100% chemical energy to light conversion with zero heat waste and the asymmetric geometry of reflective pyramids in the firefly's thorax, which increases the amount of light projected outwards. This firefly pyramid pattern is now being tested in LED lights to increase their brightness. Human tech is very coarse-grained and inefficient compared to the engineering brilliance of nature, which designs living things in ways only God could pull off. So much of our technology, past and future, comes from bioengineering and biomimicry. Even the neural nets that created Elijah Dickin utilized biomimicry, programmed analogously to the human mind. But for now, derechos still leave us without lights for days while the fireflies rave on. Apparently, having loaded overnight, the sky had a faint cloud-like texture when we woke up the next morning. Living in Germany, Carly and I have picked up the very European habit of drinking carbonated water, and we wanted some. In addition to the big names like San Pellegrino and Perrier, there are a dozen regional brands of inexpensive glass-bottled mineral water, mit gas, carbonated, available in Berlin supermarkets. In the U.S., it's more economical to drink canned seltzer, often with added flavors, and in the 10s, the most famous brand was La Croix. I remember one year La Croix had gone viral, a meme water for millennials, avocado toast in a can. But on this trip to the grocery store, La Croix was nowhere to be found. In its place was another canned water called Bubbly, B-U-B-L-Y, like you texted it on a flip phone. The kind of infantilizing branding that makes me understand the urge to commit mass shootings, to violently lash out at an inescapable ambient insidiousness. Bubbly has a message on the pull tab of each can. Oh, hi. Hey, you. Hiya. Hi. Printed in tiny lowercase sans serif letters. Serifs and capital letters must be too aggressive for this whittle guilt-free treat for adult babies to sip. What the fuck happened to LaCroix? I googled it and found out. There were a few lawsuits, but none of those really amounted to anything. What really happened was that PepsiCo wasn't about to let some indie drink company dominate a very lucrative market. So Pepsi launched Bubbly with a couple hundred million in marketing budget plus a Super Bowl ad. Then they gave discounts and incentives to stores that LaCroix couldn't match. With Pepsi's money and distribution might, 
Bubbly replaced LaCroix on many store shelves. And if you wanted flavored sparkling water, you had no choice but to buy this condescending imposter. LaCroix's branding was all early 90s brush strokes, like those famous paper solo cups, kiki and booba shapes, but for words like spritz and zest. Focus group for consumers who wear white linen and enjoy sailing on their catamarans. But Bubbly's branding is meant to regress you into a childlike state, too innocent, too naive to recognize the machinations of ruthless multinational corporations like PepsiCo, ready and willing to crush any independent business that dares seek success. Aside from LaCroix being replaced by Bubbly, the supermarket trip was also uncomfortably cold. Air conditioning has become a recurring point of conflict with our parents, because in addition to drinking carbonated water, we've also become European anti-AC extremists. We claim the moral high ground as we shamelessly switch off other people's thermostats without asking, mercilessly reproaching anyone who questions why we don't want to hang out in their three-bedroom walk-in refrigerator. Every once in a while, some grifter will write an article warning the public about the scourge of digital drugs, binaural audio mp3s named after illicit psychoactive chemicals. Our children are ripping bell ringers of cracktrip.mp3 with their AirPods and Spotify is doing nothing to stop it. Of course, digital drugs only work as well as the placebo effect of tween imagination allows. In other words, there are no digital drugs, but there is an electronic drug, one causing sensory hallucinations and both physical and psychological dependence, and it goes by the street name AC. Now, AC doesn't stand for air chilling or air cooling like you'd think. It stands for air conditioning because it conditions you, Pavlov style, with air. Conditions you to want AC, to need AC, to be willing to do anything for AC until you're a hopeless AC junkie suffering from delusions of high temperatures and an extreme paranoia of open windows. The senses confused to such a degree that addicts chill their house in the summer to temperatures that would make them turn on the heater in the winter. It's an absurdist loop that does nothing but fatten the pockets of big HVAC, which harvests energy from humans by hermetically sealing them in air-conditioned tombs like the Matrix. With extreme heat waves increasing year over year, I understand the necessity of air conditioning for some, the switch for it, however, should be like a fire alarm, kept behind emergency glass to be broken only in case of dangerous temperatures. The fear these addicts display when confronted with the warmth and humidity of life-giving fresh air fills me with contempt. I know firsthand the challenges of addiction, but I have no pity at all for those addicted to this ambient abomination. If they quit warm turkey, their only withdrawal symptoms would be moisturized skin and the vital feeling of being alive. But alas, they are weak and pathetic, and Carly and I are the most annoying house guests you could ever imagine. We went to the movies that afternoon. There was a tornado warning and Carly's mom sped to the theater as if the simulation of the silver screen was air-gapped from the other simulation where tornadoes or derechos or whatever new storm that just dropped occurs. We went to Regal Cinemas, allegedly a proud cinema for Kings and the theater chain I used to go to as a teenager. And this particular Regal Cinemas was straight out of Y2K perfectly preserved down to the Cruisin' USA arcade machine. 
The only noticeable update was that touchscreens had replaced the ticket windows. But staffing is difficult these days, and it must be especially hard to find ticket tellers trained in the royal protocol of a regal cinema. A swipe and a few taps later, we had center seats in an empty theater. The trailers felt rather GPT-3, risk-adverse and lazily on the nose for 2022. A comic book movie starring The Rock, a Freaky Friday-style movie where a 30-something-year-old woman turns into a 70-something-year-old woman and then becomes an influencer. And a sci-fi psychological thriller that I'm certain was pitched as Truman Show meets Handmaid's Tale where Harry Styles plays the guy from Mad Men, but living in a simulated 1950s patriarchy cult that's all sexy fun with the guys until the wives revolt. But we were there to see Top Gun Maverick, 20th century movie making flexing on the 21st, an epic swan song of boomer blockbusters. No CGI, no superheroes, no consideration of diversity, equity, or inclusion. Just jets and beer and muscles and gruff old military men with a lot of cosmetic surgery. Each an instrument in a symphony of time locks, tension, and release. Tom Cruise, of course, is a devirtualized simulacrum of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise's fantasy of Tom Cruise. An incredible hybrid being able to seamlessly port a single entity between the simulated and the real. There is a discreet subplot in Top Gun Maverick about the inevitable obsolescence of the human pilot in this age of unmanned drones and AI. The late Tony Scott, director of the original Top Gun among many other spectacular hits including New Model's favorite Domino, had intended drones to be the central antagonist of the film. But Scott's idea for a dark follow-up featuring Maverick in a state of entropy, full of disillusionment and pathos, died along with the director who took his own life in 2012. Instead, we get an admiral played by Ed Harris, nicknamed the Drone Ranger, who is ready to pull the budget of any military aircraft that requires a body in the cockpit as an early expository plot point. While the film isn't a man versus machine fable, I couldn't help but think about it in opposition to the overly deliberate and big data refined mid blockbusters of the 21st century. Top Gun Maverick is a statement from the brave veterans who served in old Hollywood. If classic blockbuster filmmaking built of craft and experience and studio rather than internet star power is replaced by the overcalculated, market data driven and CGI augmented process of the 21st century, something special will be lost. The running motto, the signature line of Top Gun Maverick is don't think, just do. Not only is it a brilliant military recruitment slogan for this era of information gluttony, free market narrative making, and monetizable problematizing, it sums up the man versus machine dichotomy in four words. Machines theoretically can think, but they cannot just do. Later, in Virginia Beach with my family, Top Gun jets woke me up every morning. Virginia Beach is the site of Naval Air Station Oceana the home of every fighter jet squadron on the East Coast and of the infamous SEAL Team 6 that killed Bin Laden. So jet traffic isn't uncommon, but there were way more jets than usual. They are really, really loud, and one of them sonic boomed us one morning when flying low overhead. Morning, noon, and night, seven days a week, dozens of times a day, I'd hear them. 
And whenever I was outside, whether walking around or swimming in the unusually warm and clear Atlantic Ocean, I'd see them. Usually, F-18 Super Hornets, the 2000 update of the 1978 original, apparently still the backbone of the fleet, and sometimes F-22 Raptors, introduced in 2005. I didn't see any of the controversial, failing F-35s. The jet activity in Virginia Beach served as a thermometer for geopolitical tension, and with Pelosi going to Taiwan in the war in Ukraine, the temperature was high. Despite being most often encountered in movies or video games, despite their surreal stability, flying in perfectly straight lines in tandem as if they were icons animated across the sky using only two keyframes, and despite the fact they fly faster than sound and if you want to see them you have to look far in front of the direction from which you hear them, the jets always felt very, very real, even on this trip haunted by simulation. For most of the two weeks that Carly and I have been in the States, I've barely looked at social media or anything online really. I've swum in the cool ocean as warm rain poured down from above. We watched a storm roll in, clouds moving like sped up film, massive bolts of lightning, supersized static sparks, and we counted the seconds until the startling cracks of thunder. Five seconds, 5,500 feet away. I did briefly check Twitter and saw people arguing over the insensitivity of using the word spaz after Beyonce removed it from a song at the request of disability activists, and I saw people arguing over the vices or virtues of Chevy's new electric SUV. Such irrelevant bullshit, such a sad little game to play in such a tiny pathetic world of thought and language, when outside in an infinite dome of sky, blinding flashes of jagged plasma trace the veins of God with rolling roars, as torrential rain surfs waves of electrified wind. In this scope, the fighter jets seem to be the most natural, ideal technological augmentations for humans. Their speed and sound complementary to, or at least approaching, the sheer force of nature. Both fighter jets and nature operate in the register of the real. Don't think, just do. Isn't this the problem with our contemporary age? Too much thinking, too much language, too much theorizing, problematizing, codifying and categorizing, deliberating and debating. Mass shooters think neurotic about perceived injustices and brooding over fantasies of revenge or fame. Elijah Dickin, dropping his dippin' dots and pulling his pistol, just do's. It was Nike that first distilled the American spirit into just do-ism, or more specifically, it was Dan Wyden, co-founder of advertising giant Wyden and Kennedy. Wyden was inspired by a convicted spree killer named Gary Gilmore, whose last words to the Reverend and the firing squad was, let's do it. Gary Gilmore was the first person to be executed by the government after a 10-year suspension of capital punishment, and he became a media sensation. The subject of multiple books, including one by Norman Mailer, multiple songs, including one by the police, multiple plays and multiple films, including Matthew Barney's Cremaster 2. With an IQ score of 133, Gary Gilmore was more than capable of thinking, but he preferred to just do, impulsively, violently, to others, and inevitably to himself. Dan Wyden tweaked Gilmore's last words for the neoliberal age. Let's do it specifies a shared act, but Nike's just do it makes the act an individual one. And now, in the 21st century, Gilmore's words are updated again, with era-appropriate minimalist blanding. 
just do it becomes just do. Can thinking be a trap, an action disguised as action? Is thinking too much doing society and our planet a disservice? With a noyospheric graphical user interface of the internet, have we found ourselves trapped behind too many layers of abstraction? Whether destroying landscapes with furious derechos or patiently creating the firefly's perfect light, nature is always just doing. But it's not just thinking that makes us human. Humans can think and humans can just do. If, like solving a cipher, we triangulate all of the words shared between Gary Gilmore and Dan Wyden and Tom Cruise, we may find the message that we truly need. Don't just think, let's do it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Models Podcast. We're back to our regular schedule this month, so more is coming soon. Did you go somewhere spectacular or spectacularly normal this summer and have something you'd like to share? Email us at desk at newmodels.io or hit us up on the Discord. Please remember to boost us in the algos wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend or loved one to find mental clarity, fortitude, and freedom from desire by subscribing to New Models. We appreciate it and see you next episode. This has been a New Models production. Music and mixing by Lil Internet. For more, visit patreon.com slash newmodels or newmodels.substack.com. For Web3 access, visit channel.xyz.